0: that's a tired sam hello tired sam <laughs> dude i published um three new videos on egghead oh wow you got um the swr stuff yep split up yep they're very out. cool yeah um, cool
1: it's pretty can neat. i watch can i watch them or do i have
0: to have a an account they're free they're free cool all, all the egghead videos i've made so far are free very cool but, um, yeah, it's it's fun. They have a very specific style of doing, like, three-minute videos, so it ends up being, like, five lines of code. So I made one video. I thought it was going to be one video, and it was, like, ten minutes long, and then uh, now it's three videos. But I think it's for the better, you know? Yeah. We're always trying to get our videos shorter. And, oh, uh, yeah.
1: It sounds like they, they found the secret.
0: Yes. The secret is, like, four lines of code diff. Four lines of <laughs> code <Yeah. laughs> Which is kind of a nice little rule, like three to five lines is going to give you three minutes right there, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, you would think if you asked me how long does it takes to explain three lines of code, I'd be like thirty seconds. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, it's pretty cool though. It's um, I I my next my next um, experiment I want to mess around with is React Query because that's another library in the same vein as SWR, um, that lets you. It's a data fetching library that's based on React hooks. And it uh, has a client-side cache that you can manipulate. So um, those both of those libraries let you build like an optimistic UI. So um, yeah, I'm interested to see the differences. Cool. Um, the other cool thing about Egghead is that you can make a collection. And so I started off by thinking this was going to be a one-off video. And then I turned it into three. And uh, the guy who's like my mentor there or whatever was like, uh, you can cr- put, turn these into a collection. So you can just share you know, creating an optimistic UI with SWR um, and it'll just share all the videos like a playlist basically. Uh Ah, very cool. And, um, okay. So the fact that
1: you had to make it three videos, isn't that big of a deal.
0: Right. And then also if I have other ideas, I can like add on to it. That's kind of what collections are for is like, you know, videos that flow together or that you just want to start, but you don't know where it's going yet. It's kind of how we make series on Ember Map, and you can just kind of keep appending to them. So, um, it's cool because I ended the video, basically the videos, the three videos go through, um, like turning a pessimistic UI into an optimistic. So first you update the cache with the data on the client, then you save the thing and then update the cache with the data from the server. And then you indicate that like the background save is happening with like a little indicator. Um, so those are like the three videos and then like, but there's more parts, like the natural follow up is like, Oh, if there's an error, like roll back, you know? Mm. And I didn't have that in the original video because I thought it was one video and I wanted to keep it as small as possible. But now I can just keep making small videos and add it to it, you know? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I was thinking, next I'm going to do the rollback thing with Air. And then what I want to do is like experiment with like extracting a hook, like a used resource hook. Because I've been wanting to do that in like the last three projects I've written. And I think it would be a really good, um, a really good, like really cool thing that you can do after you've gone through the work of the four videos and understand all the moving pieces you know because it's a lot of boilerplate yep now with like
1: the hook is this something you could see um you could see you swapping out the data library underneath it so you have used resource but then you can use like swr or or,
0: or what's the other one react, react query. query yeah tanner Lindsay, react query i think so yeah i think so um and so it would be interesting cause I want to play around with it obviously first and see what API would feel good. But like, yeah, it's just a lot of wiring and really all you need is like, you know, use resource and you need a way to create a resource and then save it. And, and so there's a couple ways you could go about doing it. Like the Ember data OOP way would be like, uh, I can always just call like, um, you know, create me a to do resource and, uh, that's going to be linked to the API to-do's cache key somehow. Um, So you could imagine, like, create resource, you take in the to-do, and then we have a convention in the app that, like, links that to the URL. Um, And so it knows which, like, cache to update when you make something new and save it. So you could, like, create a to-do, and then you could call it to-do.save, right? And it would, like, update in the background and give you, like, a is-saving flag. Or you could do like a use resource to dos, and then you get back like a to dos collection. And like maybe you get an add function, or like maybe you call to dos.add or or something like that, some way to like add an optimistic, you know, object to the client side cache. Mm -hmm. And then you have some way to like save it. But basically, all. All like the Redux like code is like what you want to abstract away because, like, you don't want to be saying, Oh, now I have to splice and to do's with my temp ID. Now I need to like map and splat the old thing and then push this new item into the array. Like, you don't want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Boiler, boilerplate. Super boilerplate. I'm really curious, like, what bigger teams have done with respect to their like data fetching code. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're scared? yeah I mean, yeah there's a lot of like some some secret that a big team has well i think it's like the first thing i would reach for abstracting because it's like dude so this is one of the things i want to talk about was just like optimistic uis are so powerful and great but like they also add so much stuff so um i mean there's a whole there's a whole new state there's many new bat- states there's yeah. many new states so like if you have a to-do the video goes shows like a to-do uh app and you know when you Basically, click on a new to do field and type in something and hit enter. Then, like, the world freezes while the thing is saving. Not completely freezes, but like the to do input is disabled and um, the save is occurring. And then when it comes back, it's appended to the list. So it's kind of like approximating that like server rendered web app experience with JavaScript, which, you know, is just one way to do it. It's simple. There's like effectively two states. Now, even in that world, the UI is still, like, a concurrent environment. So, like, while that thing is saving, like, the user could click on one of the other to-dos. You could disable the entire list and force them into, like, a waiting state, in essence. <laughs> um, but they can always click the back button. They can always click refresh. They can always click on another route in the nav unless you literally, like, freeze the entire UI. So, like, JavaScript developer, UI developers do have to deal with concurrency, like, from the beginning. Obviously, that's, like, what, one of the things that makes our job hard. But when you go from this like okay I have a new to do is blank new to do is filled new to do is saving and then like the new to do is appended that's like the four states you have and then you go into uh, like optimistic UI so what what do you have well now you have new to do is filled blank and filled then you hit enter and you save it so now you have you have a new uh, temporary to do you know a, a client side to do like, uh, optimistic to do, and um, that's in the list. So now your state, your UI is back to the initial state. You have a temporary to do in your global collection that's being rendered alongside your other canonical server-rendered to dos. But there's a save happening. So now, just in, the, if you stop doing everything, you now have like, you have like, the temporary to do is in the list while the save is happening. The temporary to-do is in the list after the save was successful. The temporary to-do is in the list after the save failed. And then if it's successful, you have like the two states where it's like there's a temporary to-do there. And then you want to replace it with the canonical to-do from the server. So like right there, you have like four different things that can happen just by making an optimistic UI. And then add that to the mix that the person could start adding a second temporary to-do in The middle of all these states,
1: yep, yeah, it's basically all the all the states that you originally had duplicated because you have them all.
0: Also, while the to do is saving, I mean, it's really like it's more like a, it's more like a product because of any of the temp to dos because they can save in uh, parallel. Um, You have like multiplicative uh, states, yep. You have like three temp temp to dos, and uh, any of them could be in any of the three states or whatever. Four states. Yeah, I guess you know. I guess you
1: you can imagine like one to do failing to save is like a nice little error message, like to do blah 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 couldn't be saved. But what happens if like one to do succeeds and two to dos fail? Like that yeah. they do display like like three notifications,
0: like two success or two six two errors, one success. It's just yeah, it's hard. That's pretty bad. That's yeah. pretty bad. It almost feels like when you're at that point, you you want to start going for the log thing. So at least you have it in like a sequential order in the way that the user has done it so that you know it's valid and you can like roll back and forth in a single linear log as opposed to like, wait, they like they published the lesson but like the update to title failed and now you're in like a totally invalid state you know what i mean
1: yeah even though like these three to do's are independent of each other just you forcing them to be like if the second one fails we don't even try the third one until you correct the second one that, right. that at least makes your life a little easier as a developer
0: right totally so maybe there's a, maybe there's a nice way to do that where like you have that log and you debounce it oh i have to get this real quick what kind of food you get I just got like my meal delivery, so i just nice. he just he ha- he gives me like four containers of food for the next two days nice. hashtag new York life <laughs> anyways, so um yeah, you could do like a log of actions of operations, and maybe you could like debounce them or something so that they all go over in a certain time, or if you get one if the server gets one without getting the previous one, it like rejects it or something like that.
1: Yeah, you know, we talked about Logux, I think, a, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. but um, one of the things I really liked about it was, even though I'm persisting the log to the server, as a developer, I don't think about that. Right. I'm just writing to the local uh, uh, Redux store. Right. And then that all those um, actions are then ending up on the server. So, in a sense, I feel like it made it easier because I didn't have to, uh, if you buy that, the whole UI is optimistic. Right. I didn't have to deal with like that is saving state. Now I guess I did in the sense that like, if I had to show an icon right. thing in your video, you do that. but I didn't have any of that stuff. Um,
0: right. So I guess I took kind of like the easy, simple path there. No, but it's good to think about. And it's, it's pretty interesting to think about like there being an abstraction like that, that actually makes this whole problem easier. You know, yeah. it's like the simple version with the pessimistic UI case is like straightforward. We can do that. But like, you always have these edge cases or like you're dependent on the network when you don't need to be. And, um, yeah, it's cool to think of an abstraction that could really help there. Um, so, um, yeah, the use resource hook is, is interesting to me because I just feel like, um, yeah, there's a lot of boilerplate there. And, uh, it also got me thinking like the logics thing is interesting because logics is like framework independent, right? Um, and uh the data fetching stuff is like is pretty interesting and like a hook would be cool but like i was thinking what would it look like to have a library that's like that's not based on react but that would be easy to integrate with react yeah i i, I guess
1: uh, i feel like this should be abstracted from an app that we actually build so i think it should start with react and For then sure. go then go to the general solution right I guess that's like a a way of saying like I have no idea what it would look like.
0: Yeah, but like I like that XState is is not is not based on react and it has an integration and it just the reason I started thinking about this was because like so Ember Data has so many of these good ideas but they're they're just locked inside of Ember and um same with like a lot of things, right? Um mm-hmm. Now I guess like MobX is 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 that a react library or does it have react bindings or whatever? Uh I don't know. I would I guess it's has react bindings but i don't know yeah i was just thinking that like it's just a bummer that
1: you know i would actually i would actually think that like most of these libraries we're going to talk about in the react world are probably not tied to react if you think about like what react is it's um you know the component layer uh jsx and a bunch of hooks and so you could imagine like you know just using that hook layer as
0: a a Wait, what did you say bindings bindings yeah it's I easier to like a, imagine the, the, the boundaries there
1: right so i think one of the problems we get into with like ember data where we can't imagine abstracting it mm-hmm. is that it depends on ember object right and that's I, I, maybe this is changing with like right. the newer ember stuff I, I don't know right but um
0: yeah um it just bums me out. I was also bummed out because I was I was talking with um I had this back and forth on Twitter with uh, Michael Jackson and, and Guillermo Roush about uh, caching and CDNs, and uh, we went back and forth. You know, Michael's been I like Michael. He's he's willing to kind of put out the uh, iconoclastic like contrarian perspective on like Jamstack because like nice. you know Jamstack's just kind of um it's like a useful term, but it's also a little bit like bloated or something it's it's not as like well defined i think as a, as, a, as a term as it could be and um you know michael's been programming for a long time and um was talking about how like he sets up cdns with his projects and like he runs unpackage which is like a uh, basically a proxy to like the npm registry that people point to in the way that we used to point to like script tags for jquery and uh, of course you would need cdn uh, layer with something like this because it's just like huge and it gets a ton of traffic and it works out really well because NPM packages are like immutable. So, um, you put a new version of like Mirage up and you can request it with unpackage.com. And, um, once you request version, you know, Oh three, two, like it's just there. It, you can put it on the edge basically. Um, mm-hmm. but the server is dynamic. It's not a jam stack site in the sense that it's not, uh, built generate a built time
1: right they don't they don't rebuild a new
0: registry every time someone publishes a new package exactly which would be ridiculous and it's not even yeah. desirable um so he sometimes i like it because he's just sometimes will put out there like you know only jamstack can take can use the cdn like to use a cdn <laughs> you need jamstack like if you <laughs> want to deploy to the edge you gotta get on the jamstack and it's like that's not true so the back and forth was interesting and um Guillermo, I think his point was more that um, you can use a CDN to deploy your app to uh, servers around the world for any app, um, but you have to configure it in yourself, configure it yourself. And if you are able and willing to abide by the constraints of Jamstack, then companies like Vercel, uh, Zeit, and uh, Netlify will be able to do that for you okay because sometimes people in the netlify and jamstack and Zeit space speak as if it's a completely new paradigm and really i think what i took away from the back and forth was that it's it's a new set of constraints that defines something that is able to be deployed to the edge easily and as opposed to being a brand new paradigm
1: I see. I see. And and what like what is this? Is this specifically the build step? Like the build step acts as an invalidator. Like is that?
0: It's yeah. Basically, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So like if you, it, yeah, every everything every artifact of your build that generates a static asset can basically be deployed on the CDN. And like the way we do it, have been doing it in Ember for literally like six years, is like all of the assets that change, um, which is like the JavaScript and the CSS bundles. Mm-hmm. Um, those are fingerprinted and uh, on every time you run Ember build or whatever, you get unique assets. So they're immutable. And so as we mm-hmm. talked about like a long time ago in this podcast, like when it comes to caching, I think this was about the APIs are about policy episode is that um, like when we realize like HTTP caching is kind of weird, right? It's, it's because you either want it to be uh, never expire or always expire basically. Right, 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 right. Like nothing in between makes sense because yep that's kind of hand wavy. It can make sense for certain, um, for like certain four things in the world. Well, it can make sense for setups. There's an argument for using it to simplify certain things. But when you're talking about like what's the ideal, like, uh, theoretical ideal here of like you haven't, it makes sense if you have like my vent, you know, vendor.js or my react app.js dash one, two, three, four, five, six, SHA, you know, a, a GitHub SHA, like a, uh, a hash a unique hash that's an immutable resource so just go ahead and slap a never expires cache control header on it and boom you can you can put it on a cdn and you can do that very easily um like we do with ember map like we've done with every ember app we've written for like five years which is just like enable Cloudflare, right cloud front cloud, cloud front, front but yes
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and this and this goes way way before spas as well yeah um Right. Like this is just yeah, static assets. Um, they're static. They don't change. And so you can do never expires and put the like literally put the identifier, the MD5 of the file in the file name. Right. And and so that way it's just you never need to worry about
0: expiration. Right. The reason I think it, it started becoming more top of mind for like front end developers and app developers like in the last five to ten years is because we were making app bundles like we were with Ember and, yeah. and other frameworks where it's like you realize, oh wait, we can we can cache the entire app, all the code for it. Uh, whereas like in a Rails app, you have to make a request and generate it from a server at at runtime. Typically is how it works. So um, we kind of went through this whole innovation process back in like 2014 and 2015, and the one sticking point was the index.html file because when you type in www.facebook.com you are requesting the same thing. And of course, that changes over time since that's like the bootstrapping file that references the immutable resources. But once you push a new deploy, that thing is going to reference different resources. So then the question becomes, how can we deliver that fast?
1: Right. And also, that's even if you're not building an SPA, that thing has dynamic content, right? So it's like literally uncacheable whether you're building an SPA or not.
0: Right. Um, Yes. Right, right, right. So then in the ember community the answer was um you don't want to cache it like you would not want to put a cat you could do it you can add a cache control to like an index.html file and uh the problem is like uh your your user's devices are now going to like hold on to that really tight and Mm -hmm. um you won't be able to get push push some new updates because basically when you set a cache control header um of like anything other than like never uh, always always expires. Now you're putting power in the hands of the user's device to determine when uh, the best time to invalidate is. Right. Yeah. And Yeah. Um, you
1: can you can also do a, a cache control header and not serve it to the user, but it's a header that's just used by the CDN. Mm. Um, but that. The the problem is that the CDN the edge node is gonna just like the user's device is gonna hold on to that copy mm-hmm. literally forever because it doesn't expire, so you have to come up with some invalidation strategy, right? And and, and you know you, you like with CloudFront we do have invalidation, right. right? I can like press a button that invalidates index. I think even in like the Ember deploy thing, um, there is a setting, there's a a CloudFront uh, what do they call them deploy plugins? Mm-hmm. Yeah, emergency ex- live deploy plugin. Yeah, that that will let you cache index and then expire it on every single deploy. the the, the issue there is that um, this isn't really like Cloud Front isn't made for this sort of thing, and invalidations can take twenty minutes. Um, so you, you know, there's so we so weird... we
0: we didn't end up doing that. What we ended up doing is serving the index from origin, basically.
1: Correct. Correct. And and part of this was that. In validation phase
0: taking so long, right? Um, so yeah. there's companies like Fastly that we could have wired up that are better about this. Yes. yes, and and so if we had unlimited resources and we wanted to make it faster, that would be one way to go. Yep. Also, our index page um, and, uh, for each route in the site uh, will change more frequently than than we deploy because they have runtime data in them that we we can pre render. Yes but, um, we can do it on demand. So when we we, we do cache our index pages for our routes. Um, we just do it in our node server that's deployed. So it's not served at the edge. Um, it could be, but it's not right now. Um, just for simplicity. Um, Right. And
1: that's that what you're bringing up right now. The fact that we have runtime stuff is why I think the, the server side app and the SPA, I don't think matters in this discussion because it's, the index applies the same way to both of those.
0: Um, right. Say that again.
1: So a lot of times we talk about this stuff like, oh, in the context of an SPA or in the context of a server-side app.
0: But yeah. I think when
1: we're talking about caching index.html, the fact that you're writing an SPA or a server-side rendered app, it actually doesn't matter. They both they both have this problem. And the problem is is that you have one entry point. You can't hash it. And right. That entry point has dynamic content. Right. 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 And therefore, you can't cache it. And so, um, yeah. So the 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 underlying um, I don't want to say the underlying architecture, but the the um, how you're what kind of app you're writing doesn't matter for this problem. It's it's a problem that you have
0: a single entry point and and the thing is not cacheable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. So let's unpack this a little bit. So okay. So we we generate the the we render we do cache our index um in we don't i mean we 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 we, can pre-generate it in essence and we can invalidate it when a video has changed if a particular page depends on that video so it's it's cache in the sense that i can ask you for the cached for the what the html response is for the current home page right now and um i don't need a server like i don't need to go to to origin necessarily well
1: we we cache the output of of fast boot because it takes a while to generate yeah so um but but cat cache is a weird term right because you have yeah. different you have different layers of cache on one end you have like the cdn cache which is ed node edge node saving content and serving them on the other side you have like the app server cache which is i have an expensive like, thing to render yeah um can you just save it so that next time i don't have to pay the expense so we're we're, we're in that bucket about and, and rails
0: rails um russian doll caching also falls in that bucket yeah exactly yeah so if we wanted to though correct me if i'm wrong we could take that output and put it on fastly and deploy it around the world and then let's say fastly gives us a guarantee of like five second invalidation time uh, every mm-hmm. time we could set up a mechanism such that when our surrogate keys changed, we would send a message to Fastly to invalidate it, and then we could regenerate it and re-upload it. Yeah, yep. And I think, um,
1: you know, kind of like what you were talking about earlier with uh, the hooks and the abstractions. I think Fastly does offer some great, great abstractions here with Rails. So you can say like, whenever a model of this type is saved, just invalidate it on Fastly. Oh, that's pretty um, cool. Yeah, but but I think one of the things that you're probably going to drive at here is that. Still a lot to set up. And it's yeah, still, exactly. Like, so you have I th- to have like a deep ops knowledge. To yes.
0: This. So this is this is like what I think gear the angle Guillermo is coming from. And I felt like it doesn't always come through when folks are talking about Jam stack because again, they talk about it as if it's a completely new thing, when in reality it's a set of constraints in the same way that the 12 factor app was a set of constraints around rails apps such that if yep. you built an app in this way, we can now take it and deploy it anywhere and scale it up and give you zero downtime deploys and all of these great benefits that fall out of the constraints. Right. Yep.
1: Yep. That, I mean that awesome, awesome point. Yeah. Because like deploying, <laughs> deploying web apps to servers was nothing new when, when that 12 factor, uh, paper or website came out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it changed it changed how exactly how we think about deploys. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jamstack is really a set of constraints. And so okay, let's keep going because tying it back to what we were saying, which is like we cache the output of fast boot because it's slow and then we can we could eventually cache it. But like in our case, in our websites case, and many websites cases, if a page is dynamically generated, it's the invalidation is not actually tied to a deploy it's tied to database changes. Mm-hmm. Um so with Jamstack you uh you can it's almost like you want to make this point which is if you are making a site that you are willing to tie in validation to your deploys then you can get a massively simple architecture because you no longer have this difference between oh, we're deploying new assets and so we need to re-fingerprint them and upload them and those go to the CDN. But then our homepage is generated on this other schedule and so now we have to have a different mechanism for invalidating the cache. Jamstack says, if you can take as much of your content of all your assets and if it's okay to only redeploy and rebuild the generated content when you're actually deploying new code, then we can do it all together and we have one really simple way to invalidate everything about the app. And then one really simple way to cache everything about the app. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, so it's basically saying like the
1: the more code that you run on the client. So, move if you move all your dynamic stuff to the client. Like, if you want to fetch the ho- fetch the data for the homepage, because that that's a data that changes. If you fetch that on the client and render it on the client, then all the stuff on the server can
0: stay cached. I wasn't and even getting. Don't... I wasn't even getting to that spot yet i was saying okay let's say you're fetching your data from contentful or cms and you just do it gatsby style at build time so from all intents and purposes you've turned the runtime problem into you you've you've you've, you've I, taken I know, it out of the picture
1: i know i i get this but i don't like this as a talking point because
0: a lot of people's reactions are to not like, realistic well, I,
1: well. I can't do that. People yeah. update the content on my homepage every five minutes. Yeah, I can't run a deploy. I so agree it's... that
0: I agree that that's the more interesting use case and, and common one. But I think it's good to separate to split out all the different things. Like if you're building a site like samselkov.com, um, which has no dynamic content right now, um, then it's an okay constraint and yep. it's basically a static site. And so it's nothing new. Like it's a static site the same way it was a static site twenty years ago or whatever. Um right
1: right you just have better tools today. You just have it's... way
0: better tools and you have a clear understanding that like that like let's say i want to pull in my latest tweets, right? Um then uh i i think nala just tried to open the door. <laughs> <laughs> I just like noticed like a slip. Hold, hold on. <laughs> okay, you take care of it. Let's see uh, if the viewers can watch um little miss Nala coming in. That's uh Nala is uh is ryan shiba inu and um she she loves her right. dad hey i gotta i gotta go in like five minutes okay cool let's um let's wrap this one up and um
1: there's a lot uh, there's a lot more to say so y- can we do you want to like just
0: you want to just pick it up later
1: yeah i think so because there's
0: okay where we left off is is that you have com and it's all static good to go jamstack approved Edge deployed very easily. Like that's really what we're talking about. How easy is it to deploy your, your code to the edge? Yes. Um let's say I want to bring in my latest tweets. If I am willing to do that in such a way, let's say that it updates every day. Um uh again, if you are able to work within the constraints of a statically generated site. I can pull. I can hit a real time API at build time and just tell my site to rebuild every day. And so that's like that's like this gradation. That's like this 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 slow movement where it's like I have fresh ish data on my site yeah. that is still abiding by the constraints of being generated at build time, and therefore uh, it's still going to be um, edge deployed easily. So, but
1: but the tweet thing it it. It just requires you to know that you're not going to tweet every five minutes.
0: Well, right? or, or you're okay with the data being stale by, uh, you know, one day or five hours or whatever. The point is, sure. is is just is not to say that you should you should do this. The point is that if you are willing, if you are able to abide by these constraints, and some there are creative ways to um, get farther than you would think in this build time statically generated world especially with the tools we have today like gatsby like maybe before you had gatsby in a content mesh you wouldn't even be able to conceive of like oh no i have my data in an api behind contentful like there's no how could i possibly get it at build time like the amount of work required is insane whereas now it's like installing a gatsby plugin. so there is this there's a in the venn diagram there is a portion of it that is um that's like you can actually take some data that you would think would need to be generated at runtime by a server and turn it into build time uh, responses. So again, it's not the interesting case, and it's not most apps, but um, there is, that is just another layer of this. If you can do that, then you can still easily deploy to the edge, right? Right.
1: I, I just there's something that's that's just doesn't sit with me with this sort of architecture that it just requires you to know that. This well, is going to be fine forever, and that's for some things like my personal blog. That's fine. But,
0: yeah. Well, a website that you're building for work is—I mean, potentially Ember great- Map. Ember Map could could fall. This is the thing. The question is, why are you deploying it to the edge in the first place? And the answer is so that it's really fast for the user. I gotta run. Let's uh, pick let's pick up. this up next week. Okay. All right. So we we felt like uh, the the conversation yesterday was too hot to just uh, to cancel it and uh, put it off.
1: Yeah. Hey, I want to ask. Do you want
0: to like start over because there was like a lot of let's jumping? Pick, let's pick up pick where up? where we were. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we we decided that uh, our conversation yesterday was too good to just let it hang. Uh, that massive cliffhanger for another week. So uh, here we are. It's Wednesday. We're gonna pick it back up. We're gonna try to get this thing out Thursday. But uh, hopefully, kind of finish the conversation here. Yeah. So where we where did we leave off? So let's try to remember. Um, we were talking about caching we were talking about uh edge deploys we were talking about a purely static site and um how the constraints of Jamstack let you uh take advantage of cdns easily and we started with a pure pu- purely static site a completely static site um, that was just static files and then we moved on to the next level so that's what we were talking about we're trying to kind of we're trying to come up with a taxonomy right Mm -hmm. and on one end is you know uh, static html javascript and css that can be cached easily and served by any content server and i think the next step up is like a dynamic site um but that can be generated at build time so for the purposes of caching you're basically in the same boat as you were with the purely static site and you were kind of pushing back and saying like i don't like this idea because it's like not really dynamic
1: Yeah, it's, it's, well, I guess there's, there's two problems with it. One is like, um, yeah, just the way caching works. You can't just rebuild your app and magically you get a brand new cache, right? There's, there's, there's infrastructure there. Um, I think you're going to address that. And then the other is that, um, it's really hard to know that you can, that you can just
0: build your app can be a build time app. Like you can't. Right. You I think that. that's the more interesting question. And so it's like, um, I, though, I do think tools like Gatsby uh, have shown that there are more apps that can be invalidated at build time than you would previously think. If you would previously build a site like EmberMap, um, mm-hmm. you would say, well, yeah, it's a database-driven site, right? But yep. then in reality, uh, if you make it easy enough to statically generate, um, then it actually doesn't need to be um runtime database driven right
1: yeah also too there there's i think there's certain websites that um parts of the website are you know dy- dynamic runtime and the other parts can be build time like even something like github where you can imagine um there's a number of repos that could be generated at build time but there's tons of you know repos in that really long tail mm-hmm. that would have to be runtime
0: so right like they don't need to regenerate the complete react GitHub repo page you know because they it's going to be there it's been there for years it's going to be there for years or whatever um but um one thing that I did is kind of interesting we're picking up this conversation in between yesterday and today because I was tweeting a little bit about this as I was thinking more about it once we kind of hung up um was uh the bit about just clarifying what Jamstack means um, for from a useful perspective, and we had kind of started this earlier in this conversation about the 12-factor app uh, architecture, and I think that turns out to be a, a better um, analog to Jamstack than something like Jamstack is to mean stack. That's the problem with Jamstack yeah. is that it has the word stack in it, and so you think it's a stack because uh, that's what it's called, and um, you think about something like mean stack, or PHP, you know, a patch, whatever that one was. Lamp. Lamp. Yeah, Lamp. Um, and those stacks are specific choices of technology, whereas Jamstack is about an architecture. So um, the 12-factor app, again, just to reiterate what we were talking about in the conversation yesterday, is like a set of constraints that, such that if you uh, build your app in that way, you can take advantage of Heroku and get the features that Heroku offers. Yeah, it's not it's, just about Heroku. It's about, it's, cl- it's about cloud, cloud, cloud
1: services, yeah, right? It, exactly. That's, that was the main driver. It's, 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 you could do 12 factor, you know, in 1990, um, before anyone was talking about the cloud, but cloud services were the thing that, um, yeah, you could really take advantage of them if you followed these 12 rules of, of,
0: of deploying an app. Makes sense. So, like basically, once cloud services became more and more popular, we realized what constraints we needed to uh, impose on our application architecture such that we could easily take advantage of them. Yep. But, like you said, we could still make a 12 factor app in 1990. It just didn't matter as much.
1: Yeah. And if you were, you know, thinking about the tying this in a jam stack, if you're building, um, like, if you were like a 1990s developer and you see 12 factor, you would, Look at this and be like, well, wh- how does this help me? I already right. have a way to configure my app. I already have a way to um, get the source of my app, whatever the the twelve things are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really it's about okay, you know, what if you need to deploy your app to fifty new services and fifty new servers in the next hour? Right, and that's that's something that you know we weren't talking about before cloud
0: services. Right, right. And so in the same way, really, Jamstack, uh, w- while you could have built websites with that are adhere to the constraints of Jamstack that are static and use JavaScript or whatever, fingerprinted assets, whatever Um, you could be, you have, you could have been doing that for the last 30 years, but it wasn't until the recent conversations around static deploys and CDNs where it was like, okay, why would I do this? Why would I like making a database driven rails app is much simpler in so many ways um, because invalidation is taken care of. It's like never stale data, all this stuff. Why would I do it with a Jamstack architecture? And the answer is so that you can easily take advantage of like CDNs, let's just say. That's like really the point.
1: Yep. So
0: it it really makes sense to me to think more about it like that. Like, and I wish it was talked about like that as opposed to saying WordPress is not a Jamstack site, um, because that's not how we talk about 12 factor apps. But that's like on the homepage of jamstack.org or whatever. Interesting. Yeah, great.
1: (laughs) I want to go back to, um, so, like, Twelve Factor is definitely sort of like a, a best practice, if you will. And what did you say? You said Mean Stack. That's definitely like an application. Uh, it's a stack, right? Um, Jamstack feels somewhere in between because when I think of Twelve Factor, I think like if whether I have a Ruby, Python, or Java app, these 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 apply to me. But um, with Jamstack, like, do I need to uh, be using something like Gatsby or Next?
0: when when i when i talk about this yeah good question so let's try to unravel and like get away from the jamstack thing and talk about what the actual benefits and constraints are so the benefits are really the cdn is, is is the idea um they say like no servers needed like what they mean is no application servers what they mean is like um you have a part of your app or most of your app or all of your app uh that boils down to static files so Even Next and Netlify won't say you should never make an API call uh, from your React code to make your app dynamic. And so then the question becomes: Well, um, like whatever data my use fetch is calling is not part, is not deployed on the edge, uh, or it's not part of my static bundle, and so that's not,
1: or it's not even part of my app. Like I'm, I could be fetching from another source.
0: Yeah, so I think it's a better way to think about it is, is that it's really a continuum in the sense that you're asking the question from the beginning, how much of my app can I force into this box such that it will be easier and simpler to deploy, it'll be faster to the end user, it'll be cdn right so that's that to me is really um like you said like that's where it is actually different from 12 factor because you can point to an app and ask is it 12 factor or not which i I think is nice whereas with jamstack and this stuff you're really asking the question um how much of this is architected in such a way that it can be easily deployed to a cdn um via services that have no other idea about your infrastructure or architecture set up like netlify and uh now and so that was where part of the interesting twitter conversation with michael jackson was coming where he was saying look we've been using the cdn for two decades and you know i can put a cdn in front of i can add fastly to a Rails site you you can do that um and uh yeah, you can choose to invalidate it once a month. You can set up a hook that invalidates it when the database changes. You send a message to Fastly and you're going to have exactly the same performance as if you you know, put a Jekyll site together and put it directly on Netlify. But the point is like those things that your app has to do to enable the CDN, let's say like in a Rails app, you have to know that when a model changes that invalidates these five pages. Well, now you can't really tell netlifier now that in an easy way you'd have to configure that whereas if i have a next app or a gatsby site or a jekyll site or something that has a yarn build now all of a sudden these services can opaquely uh deploy my app to the edge without having to know anything else so i think that's more of like the important point
1: yeah and um i don't know this is a good time to bring it up but there are things you can do when you're building your app that uh make that Easier, right? That make that invalidation phase um, easier. Basically, uh, the more dynamic data that your server is generating, the and and the CDN is delivering, that makes invalidation hard because you, mm-hmm. you have you have to come up with a way to invalidate it. And so, one of the things that I like about you know this whole whatever next Jamstack approach that we're talking about is that um, it nudges you towards the client fetching the dynamic data and the build process generating static assets and so there's less like there is actually less to invalidate so you don't have to think about what happens when my database changes how do i how do i tell invalidate CDMG? my javascript
0: yeah because that's that's taken care of by the fact that you're fingerprinting your javascript for example so you've separated those two things
1: right and and i think yesterday you talked about like displaying a um a list of tweets and doing that at build time mm-hmm. um is one of the things but Also too, like you could embed tweet.js, you know, Twitter's JavaScript API onto your page. And when your tweets change, you don't need to invalidate your deploy because you're using their service. So I think, um, I think you get nudged towards, okay, I'm going to build the things that don't change, deploy those to the CDN, cache them. And then the client is going to fetch the things that do change. And that just makes my life so much easier, right? That lets me CDN deploy
0: and not worry about validation. Right. So yeah, it's a, but it's a spectrum because like both Gatsby and Next have ways for you to fetch data on the server, runtime data, but then decide to cache it for a certain amount of time, let's say. Let's say the first time you request the data, it's not in the cache. So the function runs on the server and then they put it in a cache for you and then and then the, the question becomes again, how do I invalidate? And so you can either say, even though this is coming from a service, I'm going to treat it as if it is immutable for the length of this deploy, or I'm going to treat it as uh, immutable for a day, you know, and then invalidate after a day of time, because that trade-off is worth it for this particular um, site. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I do. But I don't, in my, in my mind, there's like server apps can st- could, could do that and they can do that. That's not like a a big ask for them to do. I don't. I I was gonna say like they can do that easily, but maybe not. Um,
0: Yeah, you have to know. It's like you said yesterday. You have to have deep ops knowledge. You have to know how to how to even something like caching index.html and then purging it uh, on Fastly. Like you have to know. You have to know you can do that. It's not as easy out of the box as it is for the immutable assets like the JavaScript and CSS. Sure,
1: sure, but yeah, that seems like a less. That seems like an easier. Uh, hill to conquer than than the hill of getting getting not only having your app build static things and letting the client do the dynamic things
0: yeah but yes but i think the the interesting the conversation should be centered on like because it's a spectrum and both the static things and the dynamic things change that that's the thing where it's it's That's where some of this conversation gets a little muddy because it's like, yeah, your assets are immutable, but they change every time you deploy. The question is like, what's the best invalidation strategy? And the point with Jamstack is that if you build static assets, we have a very simple uh, battle-tested way to invalidate assets, and that's by making them immutable and giving them a fingerprint. Boom, you've just taken care of it, right? And um, but that's not but that's not the, the and then the question becomes how do you invalidate other parts of the app that are not the code source code in the JavaScript and the CSS so right. then it becomes things like we will index the HTML the HTML document is is a separate category because it's not immutable um, it's not it's it's, it's, the, it's the same resource request that changes so it's a mutable resource so now we need a new strategy for invalidating that and then when it comes to things like data um, that's coming from different sources we have to ask the question how best to invalidate that. And so the point with like Gatsby's content mesh is like because we have this battle-tested, well-understood way of invalidating our assets, if you take all the data you need to power your site and if you can draw a circle around some of it that is okay to invalidate along with the code, then you've just saved yourself a lot of hassle because it's very easy to do that. And that's, that's how a lot of people use parts of their data like making a blog on a personal website it's the same thing um you see i'm saying that's just that's that is something that you should consider if you can do that like we could make ember map like that potentially like we might get frustrated and then want to be able to see changes immediately not have our data tied to our deploys but you could imagine for example starting out like that and it just it simplifies a lot of things because you get to use one invalidation strategy for everything
1: yeah i get that but I think there's something deeper here because imagine a world with which JavaScript doesn't exist. Like they're Mm -hmm. just JavaScript's Mm -hmm. never invented. Mm -hmm. We can still do the strategy that you're talking about, right? Nothing you're, you're talking about here is, is related to JavaScript. It's, we could build with, you know, whatever, some new language Ruby and ship everything, you know, invalidate our CDNs and however they get new data, they get new data. We can hand wave that away um but like the we're we still think of the things as like um this is static it's build time and um yeah there's just like there's no
0: well but if you have a new rails app you're not thinking like this you're not thinking about generating new versions of index.html for each time each time you deploy But you could,
1: I mean, you could like,
0: yeah, you you, could, you know, and if you do it, you get to take advantage of this really simple invalidation strategy. But the point that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. The point of Jamstack to me, just thinking out loud, trying to unpack this, the point is like, look, there's this really easy way to invalidate things. If you use a tool that gives you as much of your app in that form as possible. Now we have a really easy way to do that. And you can use services that take advantage of that fact which is why yeah. you can't de- 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 deploy a, a rails app on netlify to the edge
1: but it still asks a question of of okay but i can't i have dynamic data
0: yeah of course it begs and, the and question that you have other parts of the site that don't but the but
1: and i think this is where jamstack actually has an answer to this it it, it they can say okay the clients run the dynamic data like the clients fetch a dynamic yeah data. so then
0: but but ultimately right okay so Again, I still think it's I, th- I think it's important to draw a circle around the parts of the app that fall in that category because there are lots of parts of the app or there's parts of the app but there's parts of the app that fall in that category. It'll be a different percentage of the parts um, for different sites, right?
1: Yeah, I, gu- I guess this is like where where Your we, we where we disagree because I, I don't think you ca- I think like yeah, I can draw the circle 6 years later when I look at the app and I can be like, "Oh yeah, that thing was was actually would have been fine to to generate at build time." Um, but I think when you're developing an app, you can't, you just, you can't,
0: well, if we're developing an app, I can tell you right now, a hundred percent certainty that the JavaScript and CSS should fall under this bucket.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: So right. You know, and, and images, mm-hmm. you know, static images that are in the source code yep. and fonts and other assets that are in the source.
1: Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm with you
0: there. And then as soon as we hit like. Dynamic no, but it's, on it but, page. but hold on, hold on, hold on. But the, the reason I think it's important is because even though that's all true at a Rails app, we have not been deploying those parts of a Rails app to the edge. Have we? Yeah. I mean, uh, I a, mean, I Ra- we, a I Rails,
1: guess... a Rails app deploys its assets to, to CDNs. CDN. Yeah. Yeah. If you but set it, it up. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, I mean, there's like Capistrano. It's like two lines of code.
0: Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> No, no, no. That's, I feel that's like you're backpedaling f- on what you said yesterday. I've never used Capistrano. So to <laughs> me, I'm, that's not going to be something I, I'm going to do when I Rails new and push to Heroku. You see what I'm saying? Whereas that's part of why this is an important conversation because if I ne- create a new Next app and push to now, then I do get that for those pieces. Whereas if I create a new Rails app and push to Heroku, I don't. And the question is why? And the answer, I think, is because we are being more clear about what the boundaries are, right? I
1: sure, but I don't. Mm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, I kind of agree with you, but I want to push back because I, I don't. This is so very like, a, like for a Rails developer. This is very easy for them to do. I, I kind of think it's like, um,
0: just lack it's of like you're you're
1: picking, yeah, exactly. You're picking on like a very newbie Rails okay, developer, but, and but, I can find a newbie JavaScript developer that is making, you know, that's not making that's not architecting an app like this. Okay, it, so the question is like, for me.
0: is an app like that a Jamstack app? A JAMstack site. No. Why?
1: Because it needs to go to origin for dynamic data.
0: Hold on. I feel like we're talking past each other because let, let's say, let's just let's say that you, you...
1: The, the reason it's not a JAMstack site, at least my interpretation of this, is that in order to get any data for a web page, you have to make a request to the server app.
0: Not if it's static. In, in the HTML in, in the jo- in the assets that are cached by CDN, the way you just said, a, a good Rails developer would set up.
1: Well, the Rails developer is going to cache the assets, so the images, the okay. um, CSS, the j- JavaScript, mm-hmm. but they're not going to cache the HTML. Like they're okay. going to have a thing that's like slash user slash one, and that thing can change. And sure, they can set up fastly, but that's where like that's where the ops knowledge and the like you have to really think about what you're doing okay but that's what i
0: was that's what i was trying to get at though because that index that html is cached if you create a new next app and deploy it to now
1: okay but then but this is this is
0: so is that what makes a a uh hello world next app a jamstack site and it doesn't make a hello world rails app a a jamstack site
1: No. no 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 because because the Again, there's no one knows. <laughs> no, no, the the, no, no, no. The answer is no. And I want to build up to here. But the yeah. answer is no, because in a world without JavaScript, you could imagine having this strategy. You could imagine building a static site in Ruby and deploying it to the CDN. And yeah, having I know, some, but- imagine like middleman was as popular as SPA architecture was like someone would invent a a Netlify for middleman.
0: No, but middleman does work on Netlify.
1: Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, but th- that's, but the that's point. not. Uh, but that's uh, not no, Jamstack. It's not. Point.
0: Yes, it is. It's literally on the homepage of <laughs> Jamstack. Did <laughs> <Should> I, <laughs> I just get owned there? <laughs> yes, I think you did, buddy. Jamstack. I don't. But why? I don't
1: consider Jekyll, that. Jekyll,
0: Hugo, next, Nuxt, Gatsby. Uh, okay, I wouldn't. Or another I wouldn't, static site generator.
1: I wouldn't consider Jekyll. I look at Jekyll and Next is, and is very,
0: very different
1: because Next has the ability to have the client fetch data. What is and the
0: JAMstack? You may have already seen or work on Jamstack site. They do not have to include all attributes of JavaScript APIs and markup. They might be built using sites built by hand or with Jekyll, Hugo, Next, Gatsby, or another static site generator. The thing that they all have in common is that they don't depend on a web server.
1: Okay, well, in that case, then yes, the the static site generator is a Jamstack site.
0: What about a Rails app set up with Fastly for caching HTML?
1: Um, I mean, it depends on the server. So, I think this the is stupid
0: there, to me, man. I think this is really like dumb. Hol- hold
1: on, we can we, but there is another level here yeah. that yes. we can get to. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. When you read that description, like I look at I look at something like Jekyll and Middleman is 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 fundamentally different than Next and Gatsby. And, and I want to get to like why that
0: is. Yeah, I want mm. to understand that too because uh, I don't know if I agree because in a Jekyll site, you could make an AJAX request with some JavaScript. Sure. And a Gatsby site can be purely static.
1: Sure, and you can do that in a Rails app too, but mm-hmm. th- just developers don't. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like a very special architecture
0: if you have... Well, our Gatsby site for miragejs.com is basically what it would be if As it was Jekyll. D- yep, yep. So yeah so jam- i don't
1: i don't consider that a jamstack site but i guess i'm wrong <laughs> so i need a new term here
0: yeah i think let's set aside jamstack for now and um just talk about what is actually meaningfully different between the tools right yeah so i think i, no. I
1: think the dynamic content is where is the way the
0: rubber hits the road
1: yeah and i think that's where the next solution is, well, is so beautiful
0: well, okay. Let's. But before we go there, though, I because I want to understand this. Because I think, just like in economics, like when you first learn about things in economics, you talk about like Robinson Crusoe on an island. When you're talking about like demand and supply and savings and investment, not because it's like super realistic, but it's because it's a very simplified case. So even if the real world is never like Robinson Crusoe on an island, um, you can understand things like opportunity cost and the fact that like if he wants to grow the economy he needs to like abstain from consumption save fish he'll be hungry for a little bit um, but he's using that to finance the investments so that he can like actually take time away from fishing exactly what he needs every day and go build a net and increase his production right so you can learn it in that simple sense and then apply the lessons in the real world and then the same way we can focus on a static site here even though there are most sites have dynamic content um does the does so, the
1: island does the island have a CDN on it? That's
0: all. <laughs> That's all I want to know. Uh, so, um, so okay. Meaningful differences. So, if you have a Rails app, a service like now, uh, basically, it seems like the this comes down to. Um, don't even think this comes wait. down to the html because the javascript and css exactly. is the same strategy on everything like we've been deploying ember apps for six years and uh yeah. the assets have been fingerprinted by ember build and invalidated by Cloud. not even invalidated they're mutable so there's no invalidation required basically Bingo. if you have immutable assets you don't need invalidation so the question becomes when you're looking at the simplest case of a static site the only mutable at, uh, artifact of that build is the html right yep Okay. And so if I'm doing a, then the question becomes, how do you invalidate that? And so with a tool like Gatsby, the answer is when you build or Jekyll or middleman. And with, um, rails, the answer is it depends. Um, it depends basically the HTML could only depend on code. Let's say it was a static marketing page, in which case the answer would be, uh, when you, build, when you deploy, when, when you push new code. Um, that's if it's not backed by a database at all. Otherwise, if the HTML is backed by a database, then the answer becomes um, you invalidate when the database changes. And that is enough dynamism such that tools like now and Netlify cannot automatically uh, deploy the HTML uh, to a CDN and then invalidate it without extra configuration. Mm-hmm. Does that seem reasonable
1: yeah it does i was gonna say even like just like you know using your island example like don't even bring in technology here like you have html files how do you generate them like there is build time so deploy there is runtime so when, uh, when a request comes in right right and then okay how do you cache those two well the build time one is pretty easy to cache for you just cache it and throw it away when you get a new build. And yeah, you validate it when you get a new build. Yeah. The runtime one is like, okay, we can hand wave and we can come up with fastly and, and make it cacheable, but it's it's that's whatever we, we say there, it's still it's more, more complicated. complicated. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I think
0: one. maybe this is the this is the unique thing here is that in a world of Jekyll, HTML generated is top to bottom, the entire thing. It's the content the HTML you get from the server looks like what you see in the browser. In Rails app, um, it's the same thing um, that's generated at runtime, runtime HTML. It's mm-hmm. going to be the same thing. Now, the unique thing about these JAMstack sites is that you can get an even Ember. like Basically, the unique thing about like SPAs or JavaScript apps is that you can tease apart the static and dynamic parts of the HTML in essence, and um, therefore, you can have part of it that is immutable for the length of, de- of the deploy, and part of it that is mutable and depends on runtime data. And so now we are able to use the simple model for more and more of the HTML.
1: Bingo, bingo, exactly. And I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna say this, but I think it's really only Next that that nicely hits this point. I don't think you can do this with Ember. I think with Ember you cannot yeah
0: yeah yeah because it's too it's intertwined with the data fetching in the same way that a rails app is intertwined with the data fetching that's how you code the templates yes whereas when you're doing gatsby okay. or next you're thinking about um yeah the there's like the yeah the different hooks that that run separately or um
1: it's I guess really if
0: you server render like a if you server render a, a create react app same and the same problem that don't work. run no, but if yeah. the effects don't run, but if you can pre-render it, then you could cache part of the HTML, right? And then it just hydrates. Yes, yes.
1: And this is this is what I, I mean, I think this is that this is why I consider the next model. Like when I talk about Next, um, this is what they nudge you to more than other frameworks do.
0: So while you can do all this in create React app, um, what you're saying, create React app is more like Ember and not like Next. I was saying that if Create React app ignores use effect on the server and it gives you um a good chunk of the HTML, is it farther yeah, I guess, along that spectrum?
1: Yeah, I guess you're right. Right, because you could pre-render all those pages and um you're left with you're left with li- like literally static um sorry, I'm tripping on my own words. I guess that, that that this is a constraint. You need to pre-render your pages and if you can end up with static html that is cacheable then um yeah you've you've hit the sweet spot here so yeah. and you can you can do that in create react yeah so it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. unfair for me to say I can't do it. it's just
0: the architecture and the nudging though i think that's important yeah okay so it seems like now coming back to the 12 factor app and the services you can take advantage of like Okay, so Michael Jackson runs Unpackage, and he has a CDN in front of Unpackage, but Unpackage is extremely dynamic. So he's had to come up with his own invalidation strategy that is tied to the domain of his his website, um, and he's done that, and it works perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, is it Jamstack? Well, no, but is it uh, on the CDN? Of, of course it is. It's like 99.9% cache hits on the CDN. Um, so if... Um, Jamstack is about getting you to the CDN. The question is like, um, how does it do that? And so uh, it's almost like even if you have runtime data, if you can push that off until the end and do yes. it at, 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 on the client's device via JavaScript, you can now draw a circle around the parts of the code that you care about that, that, that are um, not dynamic And that's just all taken care of for you. And then even better, if you can delegate the dynamic parts to third party services, which is where this kind of ties back to Heroku. Now, maybe they have (laughs) their own invalidation strategies. Maybe they can put databases around the world. And now you've like separated this problem of how do we invalidate things such that we can take advantage of global edge networks into these different pieces. And you can just focus on your code.
1: Yeah, I feel like you 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 spent you the first thing you said was is like the uh the light bulb moment. And then you went right to the right to the the the, the services. I got more confusing. <laughs> um no 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 I think that's like the end goal. But the Okay. If so my whole complaint, this thing, this podcast is like I can't statically generate my site because I don't know I can't tell you what is gonna need to be dynamic, um, what's gonna change a lot. Like W- the way developers work is we just expect everything to be dynamic and if you told mm-hmm. me I had to rebuild my site every time someone updates a row in a database right, I would say screw you right. Um, and so but the thing you highlighted is that if you can generate like there are things on your website that are static right, that won't change like the header isn't going to change when someone updates a database row right. right. and so if you can draw circles around those things
0: right. Right. And,
1: and have the client do all the fetching of the dynamic data well guess what? You we've just we just found some more things that are cacheable. Right. Right, we just found some HTML that's cacheable. And that's right, right, right. that's a sweet spot because now me as a developer I don't have to uh, make this ridiculous trade-off of doing things at build time. I now have a runtime component in my architecture to fetch right. dynamic data. Right. So I think um yeah. I don't know. This is like a hill I want to die on. I think Yeah, yeah, no.
0: It, no, it's good. I I, I like it. I'm going to keep laying it simmer. Um so like, um, yeah, I was just thinking about Ember because when with Ember, it's like, it's kind of interesting how you said that, like you find, we found more of our HTML, more of our templates, like more of our HTML that can be cached. In Ember, it's really like all of the parts of the HTML that can be cached are actually in the JavaScript in the form of uh, like handlebars compiled bytecode and so that's the instructions needed to render the parts of the html that are static that are from code and then the rest is coming from an api so that's like that's like a pure separation in a sense and um
1: i think with ember if we were going to like approach this with ember we'd have some way of like um some way it's the use effect thing from react is a really good mm -hmm. parallel here we'd have some way to 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 pre-generate the pages in ember but any model hooks that fetch dynamic data um would basically return like um like a null object or whatever yeah 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 yeah. something like that yeah yeah like you could imagine like imagine that yeah they return like a null user it it looks like a user it acts like a user but um it's enough that when i'm pre-rendering i it gives me enough information that i can write skeleton screens Mm -hmm. um so that and then and then that output is all it's all cacheable it's all and by the way this is what i was considering jamstack but i guess um
0: yeah well this is why it's I guess like it's not i don't know this is why like in that twitter conversation it was just kind of a, a little confusing um with with guillermo because he was kind of saying like uh you know cash is like a loaded term or um you know what does it actually mean um and uh yeah incremental static generation i kind of want to find this thing really quick because uh-huh. i was just curious well, you look that
1: up. I just want to say, I think that the, the logical conclusion of this is, is how you ended the, your last thing, which is now you have all these services that are providing data. And since your client is fetching code, it's not even fetching code from your website, right? It's your, mm-hmm. you're embedding, uh, tweet.js in your SPA and you don't care about how tweets are invalidated because your thing, your, your SPA it's not is not your cashable. responsibility anymore. Yeah. Your fetch call is cacheable. It's a result from your fetch call it isn't cacheable, but that's something that, that Twitter handles. You know,
0: that's... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: And they're better at that than you'll ever be because they know how to best cache.
0: Who, who's the best person in the world that knows how to cache tweets? It's Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting point because even if you had this set up in your Rails thing and we're talking about which cache and validation strategy you want to use for different parts of your app... Let's say you were using the Twitter API from the server on your Rails app. Now, how that is invalidated affects how you invalidate your whole app. Whereas if you push your off whole to the... Pa- your whole page. Any page, yeah, your whole page.
1: Dis- your, any page that displays a tweet is now invalid when, a yes. tweet, when Twitter changes.
0: Yes. But if you push it off to the client device, then um, you're, it just doesn't leak into your code at all anymore. Yeah. So yeah, that's cl- pretty cool.
1: Yeah. This is my interpretation of what the next how next is approaching
0: it literally um, it literally takes it literally takes the tree that used to go like this and all of the things that come in in your server affect it like they all contaminate it such that like the caching strategy infects it's literally contagious like (laughs) anytime you bring a new service if it becomes stale then your whole page becomes stale but once you push it to the device these things are like no longer intertwined they're all pointing to the device separately and there's no path that that goes through both of them so that's pretty interesting yeah um yep now at the same time (laughs) uh let me just scroll look a little bit more here Uh, i guess i got to the end of that i didn't find it it was something about that um yeah caching is not cache caching this is not cache cache is not the right word because they're ephemeral and subject to slow unavailable hits it's distributed static file storage yeah sure there's an important distinction between your origin being a static file hosted in redundant storage for example s3 and a static file being inside a server that's very hard to make redundant i'm writing a blog post about this because it trips people up maybe we'll go through it next time um but uh what was I going to say? So the only thing I want to wind back on here, not wind back, but like uh, to challenge what we, what we just said, which I think was a good thing what we just said. But we often, so if it's true that if you push off data fetching until the end device, um, you you decontaminate the the staleness of a data from the staleness of the code and all the other assets. We often, when we build these things, we don't want our client apps to go to twitter.com like we actually don't want our client apps to talk be talking to five different services directly from the browser we usually use a reverse proxy um, for all sorts of reasons so i guess at that point that's fine though that just means that those things contaminate your reverse proxies like data api server which is like separate from all this other stuff so it's still good that it's separate um, but now you just need to use those things and i guess that if you just don't do any caching at all on that layer then you just fall back to the caching of the services, it's just being made. It's just being initiated from your reverse proxy, and that's fine. Yeah. Um But you you do need to go to like, it does mean you need to go to like origin in a sense. Yeah.
1: Um, and and that's a great point. We don't. We can even say like sometimes you need tweets and hacker news posts, mm-hmm. and you actually have to do something that ties them together. Mm-hmm. Like you have to find all the words that are in both, and blah blah right. blah. And right. that might not be work that you want the client doing. Right. Um, right. 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 I guess I guess if we like think really hard about this then we can come up with some example where like the server becomes our client well, you know yeah 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 somehow do work there yeah. but um of course of course if i just say like oh your 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 entire app should be like static and then using third party services at similar to the argument I was making earlier where it's impossible to know if your website is going to be fully static or fully dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's going to break down really quickly. And someone's mm-hmm. going to say, okay, mm-hmm. I can't just rely
0: on, on services. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So basically we, where are we at? Jamstack is about, is about a subset. Everything in software is dynamic. Otherwise it wouldn't be soft. So it's really about breaking up our software into different levels of dynamism and there's a set of our software that is um, is static enough that we call them static files. And if you can make the parts of more more and more parts of your app static, then we have a really good strategy for delivering those to the edge and invalidating them, or maybe not even invalidating them because they're immutable. Um, and uh, really, Jamstack is about embracing that as much as possible in, for as much as your app as you can. Then the rest of the dynamic parts of the app um, are going to all have their own unique ways to um to invalidate and to and to distribute themselves as widely and as fast as possible and that's going to look different for a mysql database as it is for a fauna database as it is for a twitter api as it is for all these other things and yep. as those different things you know for example for cloudinary cloudinary might be like oh what well, the data we provide is actually immutable because we know when you upload a new image on our site that's when we change everything um, yep so um Whereas for S3, it might look different, blah, blah, blah. So all these things are going to have their own strategies. But for the most of us writing the code, if uh, it's just, yeah, they fall into this bucket. It's very easy model to do it as a mutable um, fingerprinted deploys to CDN. So um, I still don't know what Jamstack means. Um, <laughs> I thought app, I did before we started uh,
1: recording, uh, but I, I could not have been more wrong. So uh,
0: a Rails app, the interesting one is like a Rails app with Fastly in front of the HTML but then has its own like invalidation for for its database stuff you know
1: yeah at some i mean at
0: some point here you do end up just like recreating netlify right and then and then are you you jamstack at that point like ember map like ember map has our own invalidation strategy for our pages we have a surrogate key and we and we can purge that and we could put all we could put fastly in front of our, our node cache
1: I know, but there's too many. There's just there's there's too many heads here. So like, yes, everything yeah. you just said is true, but then we don't deploy our HTML to a
0: CDN, right? But so we we
1: could, do, we could but we, we don't. We could put,
0: we could we could enable Fastly in front of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: But I, I guess mean, that's, yeah. the, we could, that's we, there's a maybe, we could. There's the maybe
0: maybe Jamstack is like you're not set up so that you can easily take advantage of like of caching your HTML without like a lot of work. Maybe that's like at a very high level, like can 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 a service like netlify or now easily cache your html if so you're jamstack if not no because like the assets are already taken care of right
1: i like the i like that you're not set up so i'm i'm drawing this back to like the 12 factor thing right like if i'm building an, a server pre 12 factor i could be like yeah but i can deploy the cloud right i can use these tools yes. i can do this but you could always say like yeah but you're not set up yeah like there's an you're easier... not set up to
0: easily do it I can't pull down ember map front end and end up with run a command that gives me a bunch of index.html files Like yeah. I, I, I can't
1: also too with ember map front end you can't tease the um, the dynamic parts right. from the static parts so like right. our the you said uh, it, it, it contaminates your invalidation right. strategy we right. have a whole bunch of um, static data on if you think about like the homepage, we have a whole bunch of static data on it but just one little change to any video on that page. Right going to invalidate the whole page um, regardless of if that change is even displayed on the yep. page so you could yep. change a, a video and add um you could change its summary change the length yes yes yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, nothing about the home page changed and so yeah in that sense we're not really set up and to get there we would have to put our heads together and say like okay what does it actually mean for the home page to be invalid um where Maybe there's an easier way. Yeah, or Separating we could just not topic. render on the.
0: Yeah, exactly. Separate it and not and and just do the data fetching on the client. That would yep. be one way to do it. And then you'd be like, all right, yep, you're good to cache this HTML until our next deploy, just like all the other assets. And then like now you are actually kind of set up to do it easily, right? Yep. Um. So yep. that's pretty that's pretty interesting actually.
1: Yeah. Um, and you know the interesting, yeah. And it it you know our main use case for server side rendering is bots, mm-hmm. and I don't see anything that we're talking about here that's incompatible with bots um we would still have like runtime concerns because i wouldn't want to regenerate the whole website every time you change a title because that would affect like the meta tags Mm -hmm. but um i i think it's okay to have yeah see this is where it gets muddy because if we have a runtime app we're not we don't have static assets that are now deployable to the edge
0: yeah like title you're saying
1: yeah like a meta tag with like title that by the way use. have you
0: watched the remix uh demo yet they sent their email out
1: oh no i i no i didn't okay.
0: they they talk about this that's like one of the things in the video it's like um awesome you need a title generated from database data right like from a request and so we have that built in and you're kind of like yeah actually i do and that's actually yeah, I do, yeah. pretty hard um so it's pretty cool that they're thinking about that so maybe we'll have more to say on this next time but uh awesome. i know we, we've been going long now because this this plus yesterday is going to be an epic conversation but i think it was a good one um hopefully things are a little more clear now i'm not sure but uh i definitely think jamstack has some work to do regarding um the clarity of, of what it is and um and just if you're seeing guillermo and michael talk and like we're not even agreeing about what cash means or like that i can't take advantage of a cdn if i'm not on jam stack or something like that i'm not saying either of these people are are like misled i'm just saying if you're observing the conversation from the outside it might feel like that oh if i want to do edge deploys i need to be on the jam stack it's not true but it's also not true that it's easy to do that if you're on your own s- solution so um, yeah just all things i think are worth learning about since we're in like a early stages of this paradigm and it's still pretty confusing i would say <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
0: um it's funny we'll look back on this conversation in 10 years and be
1: like oh wow <laughs>
0: <laughs> true all right everyone thanks for uh sticking along with us hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next time see ya bye